This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Dorinda Wood, and I was the costume designer on Star Trek The Next Generation Season 2, and you are listening to Trek FM. Theo Greyheart. Hello and welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I am your host, Richard Marquez, and joining me today, as always, is Amy Nelson and Justin Ozer. How you guys doing? Hi, I am doing great. Very excited to be on Earl Grey again. Love the next gen. I say that every week, but I really am, guys. <laughs> You do, and I'm I'm believing you. I'm believing you. <laughs> How are you doing today, uh, Justin? Oh, doing great. Excited for what we have coming for our listeners today. Shh, dude, dude, no spoilers. <laughs> no, I'm, just I'm not going to give spoilers. I'm just saying I'm excited. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> well, as as Justin almost spilled the beans. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we have a special guest uh, that we'll be interviewing today. But first, before we even do that, we have feedback from the uh, Babel Conference. This would be Babel Conference feedback for Earl Grey 261, uh, favorite character moments from Nemesis. Justin? Yeah, so Greg Malumbi says, when I watched this movie before the holidays, I actually thought it was better than I did before. I still think it was an average movie. I agree with Richard Marquez in that it was hard to pick out specific character moments. It's really the anti-insurrection in that respect where the themes in the whole is better than the individual. I will say I love that dinner scene between Shinzon and Picard, though. Also, the battle sequences really did give it that movie feel. There's someone agreeing with you, Richard. I know. I love it when people agree with me. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all do. (laughs) But yeah, that's a great pick. Uh, Definitely... um... I mean that that whole dinner scene is is really great uh, from what I remember. <laughs> but it is, yeah. yeah. It 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 definitely is, and I hadn't really thought about it as much. But yeah. I love it, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris Trebuzio had some things to share with us, so he says he's giving us his list of favorite character moments. So. Number one, Justin and Amy's moments concerning the wedding were on my list. Number two. The scene of Picard meeting Shinzon at the dinner. Not only verbal, but the physical facial cues. Number three. Oh, Justin and Amy, lol. You guys picked my deleted scenes. Riker introduction to the new EXO. Riker's face was so serious while talking. And then that evil grin. Number four. Amy and I shared similar similar thoughts with the Enterprise-E's demise at the end. Such a beautiful design. Troy crashes it. Only at Picard's command, though. Number five. 
Also, Amy, Justin, and I shared the pick of Data's final step towards Roddenberry's humanity by the fate of sacrifice. And number six, the Denatra-Picard-Romulan relationship, which started here in the film, and as we just learned, the fall of Romulus explains that Picard may have continual ties, which will be the focus of the Picard series. So I have been defeated, but I truly enjoyed this episode. Great discussion. Great job by all. We rose to the challenge. We did. We? <laughs> Thank you, Chris. It was so good. for And you picked some great moments as well. So thank you. Definitely. So Tim Robinson said, uh, sounds like the best scenes of the movie were the deleted scenes. Yes, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> I can definitely see that. We got several comments like that, like, oh, man, those deleted scenes were great. Why weren't they included? Yes. So that was pretty interesting. <laughs> And we have uh, Kimberly Lawler, who says, Thanks for another very engaging episode. I'm glad you included the deleted scenes. It's a little ironic that many of the best character moments are the ones that were cut. I had read somewhere that Stuart Baird wasn't familiar with Star Trek at all before filming, and so maybe he didn't understand that those moments mattered as much, or maybe he just wanted to appeal to a broader audience. Either way, it's a shame. Like Justin, I would have liked the alternate ending with the new Commander Madden better, as it was funny and we got one last Riker grin. I also liked the Save the Last Dance scene and had convinced myself it was actually in the movie, but that was deleted too. So thanks for the comments, Kimberly. Yeah, I've definitely seen some stories where Stuart Baird, the director of the movie, wasn't familiar with Star Trek to the point that he thought Geordi was an alien. <laughs> so clearly somebody who not familiar with TNG at the very least. And I think he got the directing job because, you know, Paramount had liked something he had done before on an editing job because he was primarily an editor. So they gave him this movie and it's a bit unfortunate, but I think there's still a lot of great movies, but it, maybe it would have been better if, say, Jonathan Frakes directed oh, it or something Oh, maybe, like that. you think? Um, <laughs> yeah, hearing the some of his commentaries on those deleted scenes and stuff just made me not like him and that he he refused to watch Star Trek before, you know, and I'm going to bring this fresh perspective. And I don't know, when you're dealing with a franchise, you sort of got to know the themes and the tone of it all. He definitely brought a, a, a fresh look to it. <laughs> yeah. Whether that's good or bad right. or not, that, you know, that's, that's up to us, I guess. Yeah, for sure. But, but very interesting to know that uh, perspective. Yep. Yeah. So um, as we said before, uh, we ha we're going to have a special guest uh, on Earl Grey. Um, so Justin, why don't you start us off? Okay, let's go into it. Today on Earl Grey, we have a special guest, Dorinda Wood, the costume designer for TNG Season 2. Dorinda, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure to have you here. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited to talk about something that happened 30 years ago. I'm, I, I actually have just watched all the episodes in the last week, and oh my God, it, what? We did such a great job, and what a great show. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think that I ever saw them edited together because back in those days, uh, I think, I'm, I'm not sure when it aired, but I don't think I could watch it when it aired. I think I was still working. And um, I, I certainly saw dailies, but I, I never saw the shows. Oh, wow. Well, that's really interesting to see how it'll inform our conversation. Yeah. So I just wanted to start a, a little bit before Star Trek. So uh, we were curious, how did your career in costume design start? I think I came out of the womb uh, loving clothes. I was the kind of kid that had my feet in my mother's high heels, and I would go through her her drawers and, and 
pick out her slips and make them into wedding gowns. And I can remember doing that at five. But I think professionally, between high school and college, I, I found a summer theater in Maine called Theater at Monmouth. And I really wanted to go as an intern. And my mother wanted me to be have a regular job and earn money and know what that was like. And we had a real knockdown drag out about that. But I won. And I I went to the summer theater and earned $10 a week and uh, went and lived there. And most of the people were from New York City. It was kind of their summer playground from New York City. And, and the costume department was from La Crosse, uh, Wisconsin. And uh, the cutter fitter, you know what a cutter fitter is? Why don't you explain it for our listeners? Okay. Um, it's the person who takes your vision and on the paper and is able to put it into 3D by cutting the clothes together. And it, it, it really takes a, a certain talent. And this guy, Bert, Burton Bell, was a kind of a genius. And so I and um, Theater at Monmouth was a repertory Shakespeare company. So um, I, I learned how to put Shakespearean costumes together and how to work with actors. And although it was very much trial and error, I'm, I think one of the first jobs they gave me was washing all the tights that had been perfectly dyed to match all the doublets. And I didn't know anything about washing things. And I didn't know you had to put certain colors with certain colors. Oh, <laughs> I hope that didn't lead to too many accidents. <laughs> yeah, and oh, big accident. I mean, the, oh, no. <laughs> before an opening, we would work through the night and it would be all nighters. And, and I was given this task like maybe three in the morning or something. And, and so I washed them all together and uh, all the dyes mixed up together and, and they all came out gray. And, and I, oh, my God, what, what a mistake. So, oh, the horror of pulling it out. It and, was oh. a horrible thing. And the thing is that I was out. We There was kind of a derelict house that the costume shop was in across from the theater. And I remember sitting on the grass crying and putting the tights up on the line, <laughs> seeing what a mistake I had done. And, and they always put on that song, that Cat Stevens song, Morning is Broken, <laughs> uh, when the sun was coming up. And so I remember whenever I hear that song, I, I see myself crying in the oh. grass. <laughs> oh, wow. But oh. I mean, uh, so that was my first episode into uh, costume design and or costumes in general. And it was a really good forebearer for being uh, a designer on Star Trek, I think. <laughs> and in fact, I think you kind of had to be uh, you know, a theater designer to have all those skills of dying and building and all those things in order to do Star Trek. Excellent. Now, were were you a Star Trek fan before you landed the job as costume designer for season two? Not at all. You know, I I was of that generation where we were all, you know, marching for peace all the time, and I think I correlated sci science fiction as violence. I think. Hmm. And so it uh, never attracted me. So, um, no. <laughs> oh, interesting. So we uh, asked some of our listeners uh, if they would like to ask you questions. So we have Rob Chapman. Uh, he is interested to know, what costume piece did you most enjoy designing on The Next Generation 
which was most memorable or which was most difficult to design? Hmm. Oh, boy, that's like asking to choose between my little children. They're right? all my little children. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I made a list of all, all the things that we did. Uh, yeah, we did the Borg. We, the holodeck was so great because, you know, we were able to do the 1940s. When I, the films that I did, I had never done television before. Hmm. It was a, it was quite an eye opener to to be on that schedule. It was a seven day a week schedule. But anyway, so we we did the holodeck stuff and the Borg and the Packled and the Rom. I redesigned a lot from the surf first season. Did the Romulans and the Ferengi redesigned and and I loved doing Major Roddenberry's mm-hmm. Mrs. Troy mm-hmm. costumes. You know, I just can't decide between yeah. them. I I love them all for different reasons. I think. But yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I I was just curious. I mean, I mean that that totally makes sense. I mean, there were I think so many great costumes during that that season. But is there something you remember where it was like a a lot of difficulty, or it was harder than you would have expected? It was all harder. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was all hard. Uh, well, of course, the Borg. I think they gave us an extra, just for a background, how my work week went, since it was a seven-day schedule. Monday, we would get the script, and we'd read it, and then we'd have the production meeting in the afternoon, and then we'd have a better sense of what it had to be. Tuesday, boom, we had to, I had to design it in like two or three hours. Then I would hop on my bike, because I was in the Paramount lot, and we had this beautiful a warehouse that looked like a garret in Paris with all the the windows on top and big, huge windows. Then I'd hop on my bike and I'd ride over to Rick Berman's office. And I loved Rick Rick Berman. He was just so wonderful. And get it approved. You know, I think he he approved things pretty readily. I think he realized that there wasn't really no time to redesign Mm -hmm. things. Yeah, get that approved, and then then I had to start shopping for the the fabric. And Wednesday, it had to get into work. It had to be starting to be built, and then Thursday and Friday continue building, and Friday fittings, and and then it all started all over again on Monday, where we would get a new script, and then we and then that that episode would be starting to shoot, and we were doing three episodes at once. We were prepping an episode we were shooting an episode and we were uh, wrapping an episode all all within one week so that's how fast and furious it was so that being the background they came to us they gave us an extra week to think about the board so we had two weeks to try to you know design and and figure out uh, the, the newest bad guy of the universe so that was difficult and I, I designed things and we would go to these manufacturers and they said, well, you know, we can't do that. That would take two or three weeks or, and we just didn't have the time. So I had to redesign my design in order to incorporate some body part. I found some forms at a certain company that, that already had certain body parts that I could incorporate into the design that they already had and they could make so easily. So, and I, I think, and then I, I went to hardware stores 
and uh, found the tubing and incorporated all of that. And it came together so fast, but I had such a great crew. And that was a huge part of the great process of that, of doing the designing for that show. So was it also part of your direction to have like the Borg be so pale? Was that part of the costume that you got to make that choice on? Not necessarily. That was more makeup. And I was a little, uh, I didn't like it as much. I wanted the the face to be incorporated into the costume a little bit more. So that I was a little overrided on. Hmm. But I I, I, it was my idea to use um, H.R. Geiger, who's a Swiss artist who was more interested in the ugliness of bio, the biology of humans and the ugliness of that. I mean, and hmm. you will remember that from Alien. Mm. Mm-hmm. So at the time, cyborgs were more metallic and not as organic. And so I wanted to bring that the scariness of organicness in, into the design. So I think that was my contribution there. And then Gene Roddenberry, who was alive at the time and weighed in a, on a lot of the things, um, he wanted everything in Star Trek to make sense. And I'm sure you've heard that before. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't really design something that was frivolous or, or it really needed to make sense in, in every way. So I, you know, when I was thinking of the Borg, I was thinking of, of all the human parts and all of the mechanical parts and, and there had to be tubi- tubing that fed each other. And uh, so I, w- I was really trying to work out exactly how it worked. <laughs> so that's where that design came from. And then it, it, it was, it was difficult because we kind of ran out of time and, um, I had figured out a way to make all these different parts and, um, put Velcro on the back of them. And I made these suits that the Velcro, uh, stuck to. So we could just stick all the parts onto the, the suits. And I wanted everyone to be very individual because you know how when someone needs a hip replacement, they don't, everyone doesn't need a hip replacement at once. So, and I wanted them to be very individual in their needs of, you know, part replacements. Yeah. I mean, and I think that uh, probably it was just something that was like a villain of the week when the Borg were there, you know, in the middle of season two, but they ended up becoming like so important and being in so many episodes and one of the movies and and all of that, you probably had no idea it would kind of go on for so long, right? No, we did. We did. They, oh, you did? They, oh, okay. Yeah. They, these were going to be the new villain of the universe, and and they gave us an extra week to figure it out. So, um, so they knew that they were going to try to – because I think that they, since the Klingons – had been part of the Federation. They weren't as scary anymore. So they had to come up with a new big villain. Okay. Yeah, actually, now that I think of it, that does make sense because I think originally they wanted to deal with the Borg at the end of season one and have a whole arc and all of that. And I think the reason they didn't come in after season two until the end of season three was they were kind of figuring out how to bring them back or what would what would make sense. But But that's great to know that you know, they gave you that extra time that and that extra they knew one it was week. something important. Yeah, made all well, the but I mean, yeah, 
it's something, right? When you're working with (laughs) such a short deadline. (laughs) Yeah, it it was, uh, it was crazy, crazy. And then, um, I loved working with May Jewel Roddenberry. She was such a wonderful down to earth person. I loved making her gowns and, you know, having seen that episode, I thought that she was in two different episodes, but there was, there was four changes in one episode. That that was unbelievable. Manhunt. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Crazy. So um, Curtis Ciaparasi um, asked, um, I'm curious about the development of Worf's Klingon sash. Uh, also, um, a, a more of a general question, um, how much creative control did you have on uh, on a big show like Star Trek? I had a lot of creative control. I, you know, I again, there was so little time. I think Rick Berman was reticent in... in um, <laughs> in rejecting things and uh, because there was so little time and it's where I learned to trust my instincts. I had no time to deliberate things and overthink things. And I had to go with my gut instincts and, and that's when I learned to trust them and, and realize that I had good instincts. So that was great. Um, as far as a uh, wharf sash, that's a great story. There was many things I wanted to redesign from the first season. I just didn't think that his, his sash in the first season had the weight or the, you know, the gravitas of, of a Klingon. I asked if I can do that, and they said yes. And But Michael, Michael was very attached to his sash, and <laughs> um, it was very hard to get away from him. <laughs> but... I think once once he he had tried on the new sash, I think then I think he liked it very much. But uh, how I developed it was I would very often go to hardware stores and for inspiration, and I think that was a bicycle chain. I put two bicycle chains together, and I saw that strips of leather could be put through them, and it looked pretty great. and And I think that's what we did. And and I and it just gave that that weight of of a Klingon, you know, and the and the metalness, metal and leather of the the Klingon uniform. That had to have been heavy for him. Was it was it heavy? A little heavy. Yeah. A little heavy. He's a big guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would think character wise, I would think he would have liked that better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I, I that's great that I mean you were inspired by something from the hardware store. But I mean, it looks oh, yeah. it looks great. I mean, it really shines in how you see it in season two. And I think Worf, Michael Dorn's character, wears like a variation of that for like the next many years <laughs> through the next generation and Deep Space Nine and into the movies. So um, into the movies was, too. Oh, cool. I'm pretty sure. Remind me, Richard. He does have it in some of the movies, right? Yeah. Uh, well, wait, yeah, wait. With Nemesis, he uh, is. Did we see him um, with it on in Nemesis? Not in Nemesis. No, I don't think so. But at the very least, it was in Generations, right? Right. No, no, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Cool. So at least one of the movies. So, which is great. I mean, and and it's really iconic because, like, actually, I don't know if you know this, but the sash from the first season was actually a prop that was left over from the original series when one of the characters wore it there. So uh, that was something that was kind of a holdover, right? And this was something that was, like, different and kind of differentiated from what you saw with the original series Klingons, which I think is great. Yeah, well, there I, there was many things I wanted to redesign. I wanted to redesign the the Starfleet uniforms. I I mm. didn't like them, and I and I 
I really liked what Bob Blackman did later, but that was because Patrick kind of led a revolt. I think he. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the actors did not like wearing those. Yeah, because it was like a whatever. rubber band from their shoulders to their feet. Right. <laughs> um, because actually, Rip, Rick Berman was adamant that there couldn't be any wrinkles in the in the twenty fourth century or something, and and so that's where they came up with that elastic idea. And but after time, I think Patrick was getting headaches and having back problems. So so they then the, Bob turned it into two piece and put a little collar on it, and I thought they looked way better. Yeah, the collars really helped. That's classic with the collars. But yeah. I, but I'm just kind of curious if it's something you wanted to do. Is it just like they weren't ready to agree to it at that point and for season two? Money. It would have okay. taken so much money to redo all those uniforms. Yeah. I mean, and in fact, in season three, for a lot of it, you'll see background actors still wearing the one and season one and two uniforms throughout a lot of season yeah. three because they didn't want to spend I, money on replacing I figured, it for the background yeah. and actors. The, and, it, and actually, it probably looked great because then the the more underlings had the didn't have the collar and and didn't look have as much gravitas, I guess. So, talking about redesigning, so second season we have uh, Gates McFadden was no longer, and we have I forget her name Diana Muldor. Yeah, Diana Muldor. She comes on as the new Doctor. So, yep. How was that designing a new Doctor uniform and you know making it different than what Gates McFadden wore? Well, once again, I, I thought that Gates. Because I watched all the episodes, of course, of season one, and I felt that she didn't, you know, it was just too flimsy, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I I wanted it to be more of a uniform and more, uh, I don't know, not flailing around all everywhere, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I I must admit I I I Diana was a a little difficult. Now that I'm retired, I retired last year. I can say everything I want. Okay. <laughs> Congrats. And, um, uh, I think she was going through a hard time in her life, I think. I didn't get along with her the best. Mm. Uh, that was a little bit of a trial, I think. I remember that uniform. I don't remember the details. But but as for, for most everyone else, I just love them to pieces. Brent I loved and LaVar and Jonathan and Patrick, of course, and I, after that season, I, I was in London and I went out to Patrick's house for tea and he made the little sandwiches without the crust oh, wow. and <laughs> <laughs> we had such a good time. Me and my um, assistant Mandy was there too. And, and I'd like to give a shout out to my crew. You know, I was the head of the department, but boy, that, that crew was so good, and that's one reason that the costumes were good, because the crew was great. My f- number one, my supervisor, costume supervisor, is the person who kind of runs the organization. I had worked with someone named Janet Stout, um, and she was just so smart and so good at, at running things. And um, I hired her, and then the um, union, the head of the union did not like the fact that I hired a woman. And oh, I, I, really? I just came across this yesterday in my, in my notebook. And uh, I quote, he said, mark my words, I will 
be happy to put this in writing. Before you are too far down the line, you will need a male key to ramrod that show. <laughs> and, oh, wow. and I had that on a sign in my office. <laughs> and, and I hired her anyway. And, and, uh, and David Livingston, bless his heart, and Rick Berman, they were all behind me. They, they said that I should have the crew I wanted. And um, she was so excellent, and um, she was wonderful, and, and there was Charmaine Simmons and Chop Levins and Mandy Chamberlain and, and Carol Kuntz, who, who assisted Bob for many years on, on the further shows, and um, a wonderful genius cutter fitter, Bill Barton, who has since died. And uh, probably my illustrator, David LeVay. I mean, there was there was so much drawing to be done. I can draw, but I'm not Ill- illustrator status at all. Mm-hmm. I would for the the really um, presentational drawings. I would need to have an illustrator do the drawings. So you were able to hire who you wanted to with minimal backlash, but like they didn't yeah. already have a crew. You got to bring in who you wanted that you trusted. Oh yeah. Yeah. We put it, put together our own crew. Nice. Yeah. And they, they allowed us to do that and they believed in us and, and it was mostly women and, and, uh, hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's, that's that's excellent. I mean, a shame that that one person they had to deal with had that that attitude. But well, the union was pretty much that way. And and thirty years ago, mm-hmm. the film industry, the television industry, incredibly sexist, still is. But it was really bad then. Wow. So I wanted to ask a question about another change that happened in season two. So that was the first season where. They brought in Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan, which is one of my favorite characters, and I know a lot of people love her. So I'm just curious what it was like designing those those costumes during that season for Guinan, and you know, if, even if you had a chance to work with Whoopi Goldberg on it, or if she had input. I'm just kind of curious about that. No, she really didn't have input. She she was all in. You know, she was put it on me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, she was wonderful and so funny, and of course, we all loved her. Gene Roddenberry really had his hand firmly on on that costume. He was very interested in in that character, and you know, come to think of it, that might be my favorite. I I loved that character, and loved working with Whoopi. Where that came from was she was supposed to be an old soul. She was supposed to be kind of mystic and old soul, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think I wanted to do something. Very often I would get inspiration from folk folk costumes and uh, costumes from all around the world and historical costumes. The other inspiration would be um, runway, very fancy fashion runway. But mm-hmm. in her instance, I looked towards Asia. And um, so hers is kind of Japanese-Chinese. And also, I wanted her to be a little bit androgynous. And as far as the hats go, I was in San Francisco and saw this shop that were selling hats with circular wire. I thought, wow, with spandex. And I thought, that would be 
a really great look for her. So I used that basic theme for her and changed the shapes very often. And I think it worked well. I, I, I loved her costumes. Yeah, Whoopi has uh, been to a convention here in Las Vegas and and shared that she loved her costumes and especially her hats. And she said that the hats, that why it was that shape was to mirror the saucer section of the Enterprise D. So she told us that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe she was putting that into her thoughts. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. Well, I mean, in the first season, um, we had lots of shapes, and some of them were that teardrop shape that went to the back of her head. Some, mm-hmm. um, I think the first time we even see her, which I just saw, was the big, big, huge shape on top of her head, and then there was another one with a smaller round on top of her head. And But I liked the tear shape towards the back. My, that was my favorite. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the, and the thing about Whoopi is that we wanted her not to be Whoopi Goldberg. So I thought that it was a necessity that we not see her dreads and um, to and her face is such a pretty face. So it was the first time anyone had ever seen her face off her. I mean, her hair off her face. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So that was great. I, I think that it was wonderful to see that face. So that's how that happened. So, um, so since we're on the topic of, uh, conventions, uh, have you ever been, um, have you ever attended a Star Trek convention? I've never been asked. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> I've never been asked. So there you go. But maybe now that I have time, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll go. Well, they're here in Las Vegas every August, Dorinda. So. <laughs> I'm waiting for that invitation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we, we've all been to the Star Trek Las Vegas convention, which is like the biggest Star Trek convention in, in the U.S., and it's fantastic. And I don't know, maybe uh, we'll just uh, see, <laughs> send some feedback to creation and see if they can invite I you am. sometime. Cause... Of course, it didn't work when I asked them for another person, but I'm going to ask again and get you there, hopefully. <laughs> Alrighty. Alrighty then. Yeah, because I think, I think most people think that Bob Blackman, who I adore, um, did all the costumes. So, hmm. Yeah, I mean, he did it for so long that people don't realize, yeah, that you were doing this in season two before Bob Blackman took over, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, which is unfortunate. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's exciting to have you here because you're telling these stories about season two, which is, I think, kind of a pivotal season because you were talking about they're redesigning a lot of things. There were a lot of changes and new characters and things that were going on. As far as costume goes, it was real pivotal because I, I wanted to get my hands on a lot of our redesigning. And I redesigned Marina and uh, the Ferengi and the, and the, which I think all stayed, and the Romulans. So maybe you can give me a little background because Deanna Troy is my favorite character. And it's been interesting that she wasn't in an actual uniform until like the latter seasons. And so when you were redesigning, like, were you questioning why isn't she in a uniform or was there a reason, you know, that she stayed in non-uniform clothing? Huh. um, I... I just didn't like the way it looked like looked on her. Mm-hmm. I thought that she could have had a, a nicer neckline. So, mm-hmm. And also, 
I think she, didn't she have major cleavage in the first year or something? I I think that was kind of distracting. <laughs> Actually, that was one of that's so fun. Okay, so so um, I remember going to her house with all kinds of different necklines and tried them all on her, and it was obvious that she has such a great neck and and neck bones and that 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 neckline was really nice on her so Mm -hmm. that that was that so i mean it sounds like there wasn't a conversation like hey maybe in this season she should be wearing a similar uniform to some of the other officers kind of thing i think they wanted to keep her a little separate as i mean i can't remember at all but i and I think that the costume I designed was a little bit more in in tune with those and color wise even with those. Yes. But I think they felt her telepathy, however you say it, kept her a little apart, maybe. I don't know. She was more of a therapist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was ship's counselor. Yeah. Maybe to make her more approachable to everyone. Mm, yeah. And it certainly added more interest um, rather than having absolutely everybody in the same uniform. Agreed. Yeah, I can, I can she see She stands out. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so uh, one other thing that I'm curious about, um, I mean, I think a fan favorite episode and one of my favorites is the episode Elementary Dear Data where oh, you see yeah. Data like as Sherlock Holmes and you see Geordi as, as Watson and then you have Moriarty in this whole 19th century setting with all the 19th century costumes. So I, I was just curious about your experience. Like, was it fun to have kind of those period costumes or what was your experience like on that one? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was known for, I had done one uh, science fiction movie, a, a Roger Corman film called Battle Beyond the Stars. And I think that's why I was on that list to mm. do Star Trek. Um, but all my other movies were period movies. So I think that's probably, since they knew that they were going to use the holodeck a lot, they probably felt that that was a really good background for uh, Star Trek as well. And, and, of course, I just loved the holodeck. I loved doing the, the Dixon 40s, you know, mm-hmm. the Dixon novels, <laughs> 40s, and and the Las Vegas stuff, and, and Sherlock Holmes for sure. I mean, I loved that period, and we really went all out. I remember, you know, at that time, the costume houses really didn't have that, that time period clothing-wise. They had a lot of Western, like Western mm. 1800s and early 1900s but but no kind of proper english so we had to we had to send to london i certainly for dr Pulaski's. you had to send to london for yeah burman's wow yeah we had to send to london and they sent i told them what i wanted and they sent like three or four different outfits and then we used I mean, Did that. they give you extra... I'm just curious, did they give you extra time for that one as well? Because it sounds like that took a little bit more time than usual. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't remember oh, having wow. extra time for that. I don't think we had a heads up for that. We must have, though. Had to have. I mean, was... If you had to send to London, it seems like that would add some time, right? <laughs> yeah, especially in those days. I mean, there were no cell phones. There were... You know, we, we took a lot of Western 1800s clothes and embellished them, like for LeVar... And I thought it looked fantastic. We did a great job. <laughs> and and Moriarty, I thought, looked fantastic. I think 
Patrick looked fantastic, and he was so in his element because he had done so so many period um, English things himself, and he loved that hat, that top hat that he got. He got to oh, yeah. pop out, and yeah, I I thought that was a great episode, and I I was uh, nominated for an Emmy for that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I know it was many years ago, but congratulations on that. I mean, that's exciting when someone's nominated for an Emmy, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I I thought I should have won, but <laughs> oh well. Well, we think you should have won too, although I don't even know what else was in that category that year. But but uh, it, I, it, 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 it does stand out. It's really fantastic, and I think it's something people very much remember, you know, all the 19th century costumes and Moriarty and all of that stuff. It's It's very distinctive for Star Trek, I think. Yeah, it was great. Uh, you know, I'm I'm almost a, a little teary-eyed after seeing all those episodes, especially oh. on the big screen. I mean, in those days, it was a small little television screen, mm-hmm. and yeah, and that's one reason I left because I was kind of tired of doing all that great work and not really seeing it. And I kind of wanted to get back to the big screen because you would see it better, but. Seeing those episodes on on a much bigger television screen now, I had a lot more. I could see more, and and mm-hmm. it, it just looked. We did a really good job. My crew did a great job. It's it's excellent. I mean, and now you can see them in HD because they've remastered it, which is amazing. So you see more detail now than you did way back when. Wow! Yeah. Wow. Richard knows about big TVs. He just got a new he one. Has a big and- one. I most certainly <laughs> did. <laughs> Why does it fill up your your whole auditorium there? Uh, <laughs> well, it's probably more of a uh, you can see probably more detail when it comes to the movies than um, than the uh, television series because like it only gives you the was it the box the the um, the, uh, the black uh, black boxes the on ratio. the side. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah, the ratio yeah, wasn't the as great. Ratio, yeah. So it wasn't filmed in um, what sixteen by eight or what? What's the yeah, I think it was like four by three. And even when they remastered it, like they couldn't take it to 16 by nine, because if you do that, like you'd actually start to get to the point where you can see like the crew that was around it yeah. from mm-hmm. the original like film. But so it's still four by three, but the like the actual quality is really. Crazy. Oh, yeah. It, and it's it's fantastic on Blu-ray. It, it really is. It really is. Wow. Oh, I think I didn't I see it on Blu-ray. I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't even know I had that box set. Um, I think I think I helped someone with a book and gave them drawings to reproduce or something, and they sent me that box set, and I had never seen it. And I I guess there, there's a little interview with me that I'd never seen. Oh, oh. wow! <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, I just have one more question about like a character that I wanted to ask about, who's another one of my favorite characters. So okay. It's from an episode toward the end of the season where you see um, kind of Worf's former and then current love interest Kalar oh, and she has Kalar, some yes. really I mean she's a great character I I love that character and Susie Plax and the actress is great she but like the great. costumes yeah the costumes are really distinctive and I think in that one she goes through about four costume changes I as well I know it I, I don't know how we had the time to do that <laughs> <laughs> So I yeah whatever you want to say about that episode I'm just curious because I've always noticed not only the character but the costumes are just fantastic <laughs> Oh thanks I would definitely get inspiration from uh, runway, runway fashion, mm. Paris runway. And I would get those really, really expensive magazines. 
because again there was no, there was no online uh, things to look at so you had to get magazines and and I would buy them they were like $50 $60 magazines and um, I would find little details here and there and I remember there was this leather jacket with those kind of almond shaped uh, metallic yeah. thing. I just thought no. that was a great detail, and I incorporated that in for for that costume. And I, you know, I, I was trying to keep have her, you know, do the kind of metal again, metal and leather thing again. Yeah, and she wore it so well. And like, so when you're designing, do you already know who the actor is that's going to be playing that character? Not necessarily. Okay. Not necessarily at all. So I would try to meet with them ahead of time uh, before we put the the, the costume into works. Um, it kind of had to be designed even be, before they they cast it. But um, I would try to oh, wow. see what kind of body someone had before we actually put it into works. Right. Well, we had to have the body before we knew what the measurements were, et cetera. But as far as the designing, yeah. Yeah, so we always had the com- them come in to, to do measurements, and that's when I got to see who they were and what they were like and what their bodies were like, and I could, you know, tweak things for them. Yeah. Excellent. So you had mentioned that you didn't really care for science fiction. Had you done science fiction after that or anything like that, or did you just... I don't know. Go back to not that I, not that I didn't care for. Is I loved it in that I it was it's creative. I mean, the Battle Beyond the Stars. I loved you know creating for for that show. So that's the beauty of science fiction. But it was not really necessarily in my radar because I always equated science fiction with kind of violence, and I was always kind of a peacenik. And I and further on in my career, I I always turned on violence. And so my career kind of careened into more comedy after that. Yeah. So, so you were saying there was some, some comedy that you got into. I think one of them was a mighty wind, which was like a mockumentary and a couple of other things. So I was just curious about those experiences and how that's different. Well, I must admit Star Trek was a, a really warm and fuzzy family experience. I mean, I really loved all the actors. I loved the production people and David Livingston and Mary Howard and Rick and 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 definitely all the actors. Uh, it was hard to leave. And I think the only other time I felt that for an extended amount of movies was the Chris Guest movies I worked on. And again, it was a real family, and and everyone worked together a lot, and and you know had a shorthand with everybody else. And th- those were wonderful to work on. The, the wonderful thing about the Chris Guest movies is that he had total autonomy. There weren't um, producers breathing over him. So I just had him to deal with. I didn't have a whole bunch of producers to deal with uh, design-wise. And I worked very closely with the actors. And it was, a, it was a wonderful experience. Excellent. I mean, and in fact, I think I saw you won a Costume Designers Guild Award for A Mighty Wind, right? That's right. That's right, A Mighty Wind. <laughs> so congratulations <laughs> on that as well. Yep, and um, yeah, I, I've I've always loved, you know, I love being creative. So yeah, there you go. That's why I, that's why I loved comedy. After science fiction, comedy was the place to go because 
comedy can be very creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, I I love historical dramas as well, but the, you pretty much have to go by the book. is It's not quite as creative. Mm, right. Yeah, I can see that. Well, and, and you know, as far as leaving Star Trek, I, you know, it was it was really hard to go. But um, again, I had a hard time doing all that good work with my crew and not really seeing it on the little tiny screen. And, and also health wise, I just, I'm the kind of person who I'm a little bit OCD and a workaholic and I, I really get into the weeds and I get into the details. And, um, for a television series, I don't think I quite have the, the design personality for a television series. Whereas Bob Blackman, who is fantastic, he, he, I think was better suited for Star Trek the series because um, he he has more of an overview. He's a more of a big per- picture designer, and he was better at delegating. And I just think that he was better at it. So, so I I knew that I would probably die if I continued. Oh, no. <laughs> I think my my health would probably suffer badly if I had continued. I think I would have loved to, but. And if I remember right, you knew Bob Blackman before he came to Star Trek, right? I did. I I. Um, when I got out of, I went to California into the arts for college. And when I got out of that summer, I went to PCPA, which was Pacific Conservatory of the Performing Arts. And they were the summer theater for ACD in, in San Francisco. And so I went to that summer theater. They were doing a lot of Shakespeare and a lot of other different things. And I was the design assistant to Bob Blackman. And um, I think there were three costume designers and I was assisting mostly a, a couple other costume designers but I worked on Bob's shows as well and and that's where I saw his design style uh, I think when I was leaving they had a, a long list of, of people they were considering and they showed it to me and and I said that's the one <laughs> he's the one he's the perfect person because he has that theater background and he, he's such a wonderful guy. And they took my advice, I guess. That's, wow. I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah. He, I mean, he is a force of nature. He really is. And <laughs> way back when in this, in, in I think 1975, when, when we were at that summer theater together, he always ate incredibly healthy back, way back then. Just always had really healthy habits. Uh, and that's why he's been able to last so long, I think. Excellent. Well, I think we have you to <laughs> to thank for him uh, being the costume designer for so long for Star Trek. <laughs> well, you'd have to ask Rip, Rick Berman. But... Okay. Well, at least in part, because you gave him a recommendation, that probably counted for something. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, I really told him why he would be so great. Do you like uh, to do anything outside of uh, costume design? Any hobbies, interests, or anything like that? Uh, <laughs> I am a little bit of a one-trick one pony, but um, no, I I love research. In fact, that's why one reason I became a costume designer. I just love research, and I love I have an enormous curiosity, and I just love looking into things all the time, and I love traveling and and I have a one billion books in my house. And I actually, I, re- I retired last year, 
and I've never been happier. And now every day is Saturday and I get to do <laughs> what I want and, and I, I'm kind of busier than ever. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? You're like, how did I ever work? I'm still know, so busy. I know. <laughs> I know it. I know. And I, and I just wanted to do that before I got so old that I couldn't travel. So last year I, I drove to Chicago and back and mm. just stopped in on all the national parks that I've been wanting to see. I've been to every state in the U.S. except for North Dakota and Alaska. And oh. And so that I, I want to go to all the national parks and, and I, I, I just love doing that traveling and seeing. Yeah, me too. I'm a teacher. And so I get my summers off and I just like to put as many trips in as I can. So, and it is a crazy, crazy US of A out there, you know, coming, being in South Dakota and coming across the corn palace of, do you know about that at all? I don't know if I've heard that term, but <laughs> it's it's this crazy uh, Russian-looking palace in the middle of nowhere in South Dakota, and huh. um, the reason they built it in I think 1906 was um, because they wanted to be the capital of of South Dakota. I think it's South Dakota. Oh, wow. <laughs> it might be Wyoming, but I think it's South Dakota. And they didn't make it. They, the Corn Palace didn't do it, but but they. They have um, murals on all sides of this huge building that every year they change out and they do murals with corn ears. And it's just, wow. it's a crazy, crazy US of A out there. Yeah, there's all kinds of interesting stuff. I've always wanted to go to every state. Uh, I'm far from that right now, but that's great that you've had that experience, like seeing all the variety of the different states. Yeah, yeah and I love driving and driving through all those, I'd never been to all those Midwestern, Northern Midwestern states. It's, it's a different world. Yeah. When you said corn palace, I'm like, well, I've been to the cheese palace in Wisconsin. <laughs> Where <laughs> is that? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but look at it, Google it. You will be amazed. And you know, it, it's amazing because up there and then those Northern states, there were so many people from Russia and from Scandinavia that mm -hmm. there's all this architecture, you know, like Russian architecture up there. Okay, so uh, Dorinda, tell us about, well, you know, usually we ask our guests about any current or upcoming work. Uh, you're retired, so it's, I guess, whatever that you want to talk about. I think you have a website, right? Or anything you want to talk about for, for things you have upcoming or you want to tell our listeners about. Hmm. World peace. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm a I'm a liberal Democrat, and I've been marching for women's rights my whole life, and and you know, and and that ties in with Star Trek because you know, working on it was was wonderfully politically wise because um, it was very inclusive, and um, it really you know because Whoopi always says that she saw herself on the bridge, and so many people you know, and the just just the feeling from Star Trek that it's going to be a good world out there in centuries to come. And um, that, you know, we all hope for that. So I, I hope that Gene Roddenberry's vision comes to pass. There's always going to be the Borg, but, <laughs> but in general, it, it, 
the federation stayed together and and it was it was pretty good in in the star trek world and let's hope that that we can hold it together here all right well um well tell our listeners uh where they can find you online i have a website dorindawood.com yeah well i think that's where i found you so it's a good place to find you <laughs> yeah how did you find me i mean what what brought you to asking me to do this well, you know, one of the things that, uh, well, I guess this tells listeners a little behind the scenes stuff. So one of the things I think when we're looking at interviews, we're just looking at sometimes like different categories of people who have worked on the show. So we've had writers and actors and, and directors, but we've never had somebody for costume design. So I took a look what? at who had been involved <laughs> with costume design. Yeah, you're the first costume designer we've interviewed on this show. Wow. And and so, yeah, I just kind of reached out to some people that had worked on on. Uh, different parts of the next generation the series and the movies and you responded so (laughs) we wanted to have you on but yeah i'll I'll recommend listeners check out your website because it's not only a place to contact you but it has lots of great images for the different you know aspects of the costume design that you've done and your film work and tv work and theater work and all of that so i think it's it's uh it's a a great place to go and if people wanted to reach out to you and ask their own questions they can just contact you there they can yeah absolutely (laughs) excellent well Thanks so much for being with us for this interview today, Dorinda. It was wonderful. Oh, so fun. And if you want to have me back, go right ahead. Plenty to talk about. (laughs) Excellent. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye. Wow, that was a great interview, wasn't it, guys? Fantastic. (laughs) So interesting. Yeah, and what I love about it is, you know, we've we've had different people that have been interviewed here. There have been actors and directors and writers. This is the first costume designer for the next generation we've had. So to have that perspective for what was being designed for things like the Borg and Guinan and the 19th century costumes in Elementary Dear Data and Kalar and all of that is just so wonderful. And to look at it for the perspective of that season and all that was redesigned and that changed, I just really loved being able to... And, we could have talked for a long time, you know, about all the episodes and all her memories. So yeah, enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Some of the things I just wrote down a few notes because she was so interesting and so relatable. And right from the get go, she had me at, yeah, I'd go into my mom's closet and put on her heels and <laughs> okay. I so did that. My mom was a secretary in the seventies. And so she had those humongous high heels and that's what she wore every day. And I would go into her closet and put them on and walk around. Oh my gosh. I so remember that. I was so impressed with the time schedule that they had to Ugh, keep. Incredible, like, right? <laughs> extensive and Every single week. Oh, yeah. Monday and then Tuesday and Wednesday, it had to be done and they had to be measured and so that they could shoot. And man, I that's hard work. I thought my bed day was busy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Seven days a week. Yeah. Well, and I thought what was interesting, I mean, yeah, that's a real time crunch. It's like, okay, you find out what it is, you have a couple hours to sketch it out and then get it approved and then it has to be cut and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, And it sounded like pretty much all the time, you know, she'd have to get Rick Berman's approval, but he'd be like, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Possibly knowing because of the time crunch, but also like trusting, like you're the costume designer. I can see this fits with that, like Mm -hmm. run with it. I just kind of love that she had that creative control over the costumes. It was very cool. And I so loved, she would go to the hardware 
hardware store for inspiration. <laughs> Come on now. I've never walked yeah. into a hardware sto- store and say, oh, that would go well with my blue jeans or whatever. That's I know, right? Great. And if you think... And if you think about Worf Sash as like two bicycle chains, like that's really inexpensive, but it actually looks really good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it made me you think know? I want to do that now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just get some bicycle chains and try that to remake Worf actually, Sash. Come to think of it, it makes sense on, on the design. I mean, obviously you would have to go to a bike store for that one. But I mean, yeah. But like, yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I, it, like, I can only imagine the weight of that thing on you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh man. On your shoulder. Yeah. yeah. But like, I, I think that's great because they had this constraint of how much money they could spend. And she was just like doing everything she could. Like, let's go to the hardware store. Let's do this and that. Uh, but it still looks fantastic. So I'm just, yeah, so impressed by that. And I loved her relationship, like how, you know, she was saying that she had a really good relationship with Rick Berman and that Majo was amazing to work with. And just like the entire you know, cast and crew, like, you know, we've heard it from the actors, but to hear it from actually the crew and behind the scenes, you know, is just reaffirmed of, you know, how strong of a unit that they were and that they were this family, you know, it just was great to hear. Yeah. I mean, and also like when you're doing like 22, 26 episodes a year, you're working with people like a lot and for a lot of the years. So it makes for that kind of I I know that doesn't happen on every TV show, but like on Next Generation, it seemed like that happened. Like they were just all in it together and wanted to do the best job but have some fun too. So Plus on top of that, they didn't really have the tools uh, like we have today. You know what I mean? Like it's something. Yeah. I'm sure it's a lot easier now than it ever was back then. So they had to be really creative Mm -hmm. with what they had. Definitely. Yeah. But I think the restraints that you have can lead to great creativity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Like Worf's... Sash. Like work sash. sash, yeah, which is fantastic. Which, which looks good and it looks, it, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So um, a preview of uh, next week's episode. Uh, Amy, would you like to uh, tell us what we're doing next week? Sure. Uh, Justin will be away, and so we will have Zach Moore join us. And we are going to talk specifically about the violations of Troy during the next generation. So a little bit more serious uh, topic, but I think one that will be uh, well worth having. There you go. Excellent. Look forward to hearing it. I think this is the first Earl Grey I'm missing <laughs> since I joined. Right? There you <laughs> go. Wow. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, have a some travel that I'm doing, so I won't be able to make it, but looking forward to hearing your discussion. Well, it's been so much fun interviewing costume designer Dorinda Wood today. But that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Ready Room. I just wonder, like, I I think this is sort of a delicate focus area Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. a series, Section Mm -hmm. 31. I think it will be very easy to make an interesting TV show that strays too far away from what Star Trek is at its core, unless it's handled carefully. And so I'm going to be interested to see what they do with it. And I'm kind of wait and see. That can be a dynamic tension. You could have two different characters Mm -hmm. or two different factions that represent that spectrum. Earl Grey. But yeah, it is kind of a very Kirk thing. Like, I'm going to 
you know, save the day this way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that as a great moment because the twist, you just don't see it at all. And here Riker comes and is like, nope, I'm not. And then bam, bing, bing. And poo, poo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the first time I saw it, I was like, oh no, if Riker's infected, how are they going to get up? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just right to the very end. It was great timing mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. The orb. The way that you live your life is a routine and a pattern and almost an addiction because it becomes just what you do. And to break out of that takes immense work. And and therefore, you you usually, when you're going to make a change like that, you need some sort of safety net. And Brow hasn't been in a place where he feels that long enough, even though Kira is kind of offering that to him. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Pike's answer was a little, well, I owe you a simile. Like, oh, come on, dude. Uh, but but when he talks to Connolly, he's like, do you see how many syllables died? Like, that <laughs> was <know>. great. <laughs> that was so funny. Oh, my gosh. That was so amazing. I'm being a bit contradictory right here because I like Pike for the reasons I don't like Tilly, right. but. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. Now, Richard, pop question. (laughs) Okay. Ooh, all right. I just thought of one. Uh So she talked about the many different types of hats for Guinan. Which one was your favorite uniform for Guinan? Um... So it, okay, I don't remember which episode it was in, but she there was a there was a blue one that she wore that had that looked like it, it's okay. So it's it looked like um, what is it called um, the the Q uh, like wall in the first episode, whatever it's called, whatever that thing was called. Oh yeah, that little barrier. yeah that, that yeah. so that pattern. So not the color, but the pattern. So huh. there, there was a pattern that she had that um, that Guinan had that I absolutely love. It was like a cerulean blue, and it had those like like those lines on, on that were on it and everything. I can't remember what it um, mm-hmm. where it was from, but like I love that color on mm. uh, Whoopi Goldberg. I think it looks fantastic on her. Um, it's for whatever reason it just popped on my head, and I I can't believe I haven't I haven't seen that in a long time. <laughs> but like, it's just so it it looks so good on her and and everything. And I, I want to say it was one of those saucer uh, shaped ones, the one of the blue on uh, obviously yeah with the blue matching one, yeah. color. Uh, and but I think yep. it was the yeah. spandex one, one of those yeah. saucer ones. But yeah, awesome. There you go. <laughs> cool. Should I give Should I give my pick? Yeah, <laughs> oh, why not? <laughs> Yeah, you know, like, oh, the thing with Guinan, I mean, she's in so many episodes, then thinking, like, which one's my favorite? So I did, like, a little Google image search. And, you know, I think I really like the what she wears in, in Q-Who with the, the purple outfit. I don't know. There's just something about that color that I really like on her. But I really just love all of them. I mean, it's just, like, you get to see all of these different colors that she wears and shapes of hats and stuff. I think it's, it's fantastic. And... um 
Yeah, I mean, it was great that Dorinda Wood, who we interviewed today, like set the template for the kinds of outfits Guinan would have, like mm-hmm. going forward all the way into generations. So, yeah. but I like the purple one. I li- I like the purple one, but I I think I'm with you, Richard, with that blue one, and just I love the humongous mm. hat <laughs> that she's wearing. Like it's so you know just yeah. there, a statement piece. And but I would I would say the purple one's my second favorite. There you go. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Awesome. Nice. Awesome. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show as well as uh, your favorite Guinan outfit as well. And there are many ways you can do that. And the best places to join a larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. So, Richard, where can people contact you when you're not wearing Worf's sash? I'm going to need to do some, like, shoulder lifts and stuff like that before I put it on. <laughs> yeah, she said, Michael Dorn's a big guy. It doesn't matter yeah. how heavy it is. <laughs> he is a big dude. <laughs> But, but you know, sometime in the near future, I expect that when we record for this show, I will see your handmade sash from Bicycle Chains. I'm thinking about it. I really am. And now <laughs> I'm going to look at it and I'm going to actually see how she did it. If she if she'd be willing to give me the plans, that would be even better. <laughs> mm-hmm. hmm. So that would be awesome. But I definitely would love to wear that. That would be awesome. So you guys can find me on Facebook. I pop in here and there on the Babel Conference. And um, I am also on Twitter. Uh, my handle is xransom. So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not cosplaying as season two Troy? Well, I might have to work on my neckline a little bit better because she sure went on about how lovely Marina's neckline was. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. yeah, it was. <laughs> or is. How does one work on a neckline? <laughs> There's specific exa- or exercises for that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> If you do, let me know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you can find me here on the network where I co-host The Edge with my good friend Patrick Devlin. And we are doing postcards from The Edge now that Discovery Season 2 is up and going. You can find me on the Fandom Podcast Network where I co-host Discoville that talks about Discovery and the Orville. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. But my favorite place is on Facebook in the Babel Conference. Justin. Man, wait, Amy, you're so busy with all these podcasts. That's incredible. (laughs) I know. The next 14 weeks, well, by the time this (laughs) drops, the next 12 weeks are just, yeah, I'm a lot podcasting every week. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Eat healthy food is is what she said, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Talking about her work schedule, that's what I feel like for the next 12 weeks. (laughs) So, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not dreaming of having an entire room of Star Trek costumes? Man, that would be amazing. If only I could afford to buy that many. But anyway, when I'm not dreaming about that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. Currently tweeting out my Season 7 rewatch of The Next Generation and a whole bunch of other Star Trek stuff. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. 
If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize and thank our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you so much for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Great joy and gratitude. Things are only impossible until they're not. Today is a good day to die! And wear a sash. And wear a sash, yep. (laughs) 